this morning from Psalm 72, the first seven verses. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the needy, and crush the oppressor. May he live while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may righteousness flourish and peace abound until the moon is no more. This is the word of God for the people of God. I want to begin this morning by saying thank you to all of you who have written me or called or spoken to me in the hallway. You've been willing to engage deeply and grapple with this worst part of our history as we look at race relations in America this month and what we might do about it. It's difficult to live in the tension between the ideals of America and what we know about the history of how people of color, our citizens of color, have been treated throughout the history of this country. People have expressed to me how many different feelings can come up from fear and frustration to guilt and shame to anger and offense when they think about these things or enter into conversation or dialogue about this. I try to imagine what it might be like that when one looks at your one's family history that you might find slavery, whether you're white or black, on either side, what that does to one's psyche, or if you find that land or other wealth has been stolen from you. Try to imagine what it's like to have dark skin in our country and be pulled over by the police. Just this week, I was driving, went past a parking lot, there was a police cruiser sitting there. As soon as I went by, it pulled in right behind me. My heart went a little aflutter. I may have been going a little fast just before I got there. I was on my way back to the church, though. I was rushing back when I passed the police car. He did not pull me over. I failed to say that at 9 o'clock, so people were worried. He did not pull me over. But I tried to imagine what it was like if I felt like that encounter might lead to my arrest or my death. I wonder what it's like to be a police officer in a polarized country like ours today. How they often get thrown all into one group and are maligned for trying to do their duty, doing a dangerous and difficult job. We live in this tension right now in our country and it's hard I think especially for white people to stay in the conversation so many I talk to is like let's get to the end what can we do what's the quick fix and yet we know we've had problems for 400 years so it's going to take a while for us to work through this to try to bring this to some kind of resolution that's fair for everyone. 
But it's so easy, people have said, even in their family and their friends group, when they're trying to talk about violence and race relations, to have a civil conversation and how emotions flare so quickly and how people often end up disengaging completely from the conversation. So I'd like to suggest this morning as Christians, we do not let fear and frustration, resentment or rancor be our guides. The authors in the book I invited you to read along with me to All Lives Matter talk about how in media people profit when they can get people to fight, when they can get someone to level a really good attack against somewhere else. Ratings go up. They talk about how being on social media People feel empowered, often anonymous in a sense, to say anything they might want to say, to attack someone they may not even have ever met, and to say vicious and terrible things about who they are, to make them an enemy, if you will. They suggest that's not the way for us to make progress. They want to lift up some other voices of people who approach this in a different way. They say instead of that way, these other leaders, I'm going to quote here, they recognized pain, acknowledged suffering wherever it was, and advocated for peace, compassion, and understanding, not retaliation or violence. They go on to say, Despite the perception that one has to be on one side or the other, the overwhelming majority of people in this country want the same thing, peace and justice in our communities and in our neighborhoods and in our nation. They say it's time to build on this common ground, on the foundation we share. I love that idea. I love that strategy. The psalmist wants to talk about common ground today from God's perspective, and the two key words are righteousness and justice. They repeat them over and over in this psalm. Righteousness or right relationships and justice. And they begin in the very first verse, which is a good place always for people of faith to begin by turning to God This whole psalm is a prayer to God, and in verse 1, they ask, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. Now, they live in a monarchy, so they have a king in charge, but they also live in a theocracy, so the king is to represent God. The sequence is from God to king to the people. If the king is a good king, then He's going to understand God's will and justice, and he's going to distribute it fairly across the land. He's going to defend the poor and give voice to the voiceless. He's going to create right relationships, if you will. You hear it again in verse 2, may he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. That is, even if there's unequal power in a relationship 
for the one with the most power to be fair and just to the one with lesser power. And we hear what I mentioned a few weeks ago in this psalm that some theologians called this preferential option for the poor. You hear it in these verses. Verse 4, for example, may he, the king, defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the needy. This special concern for the poor that we find throughout scriptures, but it's sometimes easy for us to forget. It's in the prophets, it's in the Psalms, it's in the Gospels, it's in the epistles. We see it throughout the pages of Scripture. The question is, do we hear it? Do we heed it? Do we understand it? In a sense, the authors of the book and the psalmist are saying, all lives matter, cannot be a reality until the lives of the poor and needy matter. Or always, as we said earlier in the month, all lives can't matter till we make sure that the lives of people with darker skin matter. Then all lives can matter. The authors raise up another text from the Proverbs that talks about what the king should do. It's in Proverbs 31. I'm going to read you verse 8 and 9. Speak out for those who cannot speak, for the rights of all the destitute. Speak out. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Now, this proverb is also focused on what the king should do. But the authors of the book suggest that in a democracy, we should all think about our role in bringing peace and justice and righteousness. They invite all of us to consider ourselves someone who can help bring this to the land the way the king might in ancient days. Are you willing to be a voice, they ask, for those who cannot speak up? Are you willing to defend the rights of the poor and the needy? Often we kind of draw back from that challenge. We know what the backlash can look like when we stand up and speak out on a controversial issue. We're not sure we are the ones called to speak on these kinds of topics. The authors invite us to reconsider I think one of our issues so often we think if we speak out we're the only one we're a lone voice we're on a solo journey and certainly it looks like that sometimes in scripture the prophets certainly it's like that in the old western movies and the sci-fi movies of today where a hero swoops in and kind of single-handedly brings justice and makes everything right it's easy often even to see Jesus as our Savior, kind of the solo operator. But let us not forget that Jesus did not do his life on earth alone. He was not a loner. As he begins going public to be a voice for God, what does he do? 
invites others into the mix, calls disciples to be followers, begins to teach them, and then sends them out in pairs to be in ministry with the world. Jesus does not act alone, certainly empowered by God, but he invites others into the mission. Jesus establishes the church by calling those first disciples and then in our day calling the rest of us to carry on the work of God. We are the church together. Christianity is not a solo enterprise. It's something we do in community and speaking out for the poor and needy can be that as well. The church, not a solo voice, but a corporate or group or multivalent voice with God's love pouring through each and every one of us into the world, looking out for the needs of the poor and the needy, the mistreated and the marginalized, the underserved and the unheard. It is a voice calling for compassion and care peace and love, righteousness and justice. We heard it in verse 7 as we finished the part we read out of the psalm in his days, that is the days of the king, but we could think of our days as well. In those days, may righteousness flourish and peace abound. Might that be something we could all agree upon, that we would like righteousness and peace to flourish in our land i think that's something where we could come together on common ground and stand together oh we can speak up as individuals but so much more powerfully we speak when we stand together and speak when we gather together as the church and then go out to be the church in our lives the idea is to stand in solidarity with one another, even when we are different, old and young, rich and poor, black and white, for us to be able to stand together because we understand God's will and God's concern for the poor and God's desire for righteousness and justice to prevail across the land. Choose whatever difference or characteristic you might. The call of the Gospels, let that not be a barrier for God's people to come and stand together for peace and justice and righteousness to flourish across the land. I'll just give you one example before we close. You've heard me today and at other times speak of our Smiles of Faith mobile dental ministry. We're about to launch this publicly. We started working on this before COVID. We were slowed down, hard to see people one-on-one and look in their mouths during a pandemic but we're ready to go now. This is going to be a free dental service aimed for those without dental services in North Tulsa. I think it's a way, a platform to establish right relationships and be about the work of justice. But it's not just a dental ministry. Certainly people will be coming to get out of pain and we will help them. But it will also be a ministry of hospitality. They'll be invited into these five churches that are working together to make this happen. There'll be 
ask if there's other ways that we can help other services they need medical or otherwise they'll be asked about their spiritual lives and if they need a church home if they'd like someone to pray with them all of that will be a part of it but what a beautiful example of the church large c coming together where we have two united methodist congregations one African Methodist Episcopal congregation and two black Baptist congregations coming together certainly we do not agree on everything we do not agree on even all the facets of Christian theology or how we should organize ourselves but we're coming together as the church as people of goodwill as followers of Christ to be a force in Tulsa to proclaim God's love and hope and healing to those who have been marginalized or overlooked or for whatever reasons are in difficult circumstances and dealing with pain, we believe that we can help relieve the pain, that we can be the church, that we can build relationships that are right relationships of peace and justice and compassion and care. We have a tagline that we've been using lately called Love Lives Here. You may have seen the signs. You may even have a sign in your yard that says this. I told you that every Sunday during July, I was going to be inviting you to take some action. Well, we have a bunch of these signs out at the counters. If you don't have one, I'm inviting you to consider getting one. It's a simple gesture, but it's a way to be a voice across this community on behalf of love and goodwill, to build on common ground, to say we are a people of peace and justice, that we want good to come to our neighbors and to all in our community. It's a way to be a voice of faith. We're not kings or queens, but we can be a voice for righteousness and justice. We can be a voice for Christ. We can be a voice for the church saying we stand for this. So the invitation is to take one for yourself, put it in your yard, in your window, give one to a friend or a neighbor perhaps. Just one small way to respond to this call of God upon our lives, to be people of faith that lift a voice to declare our faith to declare that we're on the side of good and love and kindness, to build on that kind of common ground, to be the people of God. May it be so. Amen. Thanks be to God.